talk about the orphan heart and the orphan spirit today. Um, we're going to detour just a little bit from our reading plan. If you're new here today, we do have a reading plan that we do um, as a collective group. We're reading through the book of John, and Eric has been preaching on that um, until Shrek was here. Bob Shrek was here last week, and that was pretty fun. You guys think that was fun? That was a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, so Eric has been teaching on John. Um, this week is John chapter 10 is what we're doing, but we're going to veer um, out of that uh, because we're going to be uh, teaching on Luke chapter 15 today is where the text we're going to be pulling from uh, today because, I mean, well, because I'm preaching and I said so. So that's what we're going to do. But, you know, uh, we've, been, we've been going through this uh, journey with Tom, right? Tom has been going through this sabbatical journey and it's been really, really good. We've all needed to learn how to rest, Right? We've all needed to learn how to uh, resolve dissonance with God and ourselves, with our spouses, with our children, with the, with the relationships around us. And all of us have a song, right? All of us have a song that we sing, and many of us have no idea what it is. I absolutely loved... How many of you guys were here when Patrick gave his testimony about the dream that he had? If you did not hear that... Go back and find it. It was so, so good. Just the depiction and the picture of what it means to have a song that we all play. It was really, really good. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, we've been doing that, and it, we're continuing it because it was June, July, and August. But how many of you know it takes longer than a month to figure out how to rest? I am a workaholic like you. I have no idea how to rest. I was on vacation for 13 days, and I think I was on day maybe 10 when I finally relaxed. Not even kidding. It's so bad. So uh, it takes a while to figure out how to rest. It takes a while to resolve the dissonance that's in our lives, and it takes a while to find our song. So we're, we're extending this journey. And so um, I think part of today is even extending that uh, because the orphan heart and the orphan spirit, I'm going to explain it in a minute, but it absolutely keeps us from resting it, it keeps us in dissonance in relationships. It keeps our relationships um, just difficult and rough, and it also keeps us out of our song. And so this is just part of it. I think the, the week that I was on vacation was the week that there was a, a big deliverance session with the orphan heart and the orphan spirit. Do you guys remember that? The, the, what happened during worship, I think Tina led us through it. That was also the week that you played my jam. You, you like blew the dust off that one song over the mountains and the sea and something anyway it's like blew the dust off a 1991 song I was listening in Florida going oh you're playing my jam and the orphan heart is getting delivered anyway it was so cool but um so I have been studying uh this thing of the orphan heart and the orphan spirit for about three years now uh, for the purpose of getting free from it myself I think about it was probably 10 months ago that that it it got even deeper, and I pursued it even more. And there are, let's see, so today's uh, message is deconstructing the orphan heart so we can embrace the Father's love. And um, I just wanted to give you some resources um, to study this, because this is not something unique to me. This is not revelation that just, you know, came from heaven and came to Shelley Hansen. This revelation has been coming to a lot of people. And so um, the, these are some good resources that you can look for. Experiencing the Father's Embrace by Jack Frost, Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship by Jack Frost, Healing the Orphan Spirit by Leif Hetland. Leif Hetland is probably the one that I've studied the most in the last 10 months or so. 
great resources there. And then, of course, Chris Valaton has lots of stuff um, out on the orphan heart right now as well. And so I, I want to talk about the orphan spirit and the orphan heart, and I'm not trying to be cryptic here. This is just, it's just a simple, it's a terminology that we use to describe a heart condition, to describe a behavior, to describe a defense mechanism that um, many of us suffer from, probably all of us suffer from to some degree in some measure. And so um, I'm going to try to stick to my notes here. However, I will tell you, I've been taking this preaching course, you know, to learn how to be a better preacher. So you can let me know at the end how I do if I, anyway. One of them is uh, that one of the messages on it is how to deliver a message without using notes. And I'm like, I can't even fathom that. I'm like, what in the world even? Okay, anyway, so um, I can do it. I can do it. One day I will. But I have, I've been studying this, and I've actually taught on it probably five times um, at different places, women's conferences, youth. My youth have heard it a thousand times. In fact, they're going to help us with some of the demonstrations in a little bit. And um, they've all heard it. Um, But before, I would always have to squeeze it into one message. And so now I can actually spread it out into three, which makes me so happy, because that actually follows along with my preaching claim, which is like do one main point per message. So anyway, so here we are. The orphan heart is, it is simply a misunderstanding of God's heart towards us. And therefore, we believe that we are on our own to figure things out. So, for example, and I'm sure that none of you are like, oh, no, I don't, I don't feel that way. L- let me help you. Let me, I, I can at least tell you how women might feel that way, to feel alone and abandoned. Uh, I'm on my own to figure this out. You have small children, and you're trying to get out the door. And how many times you as mothers are doing everything and getting breakfast and getting all this stuff, and this may have just happened this morning, but you're getting all this and you're you're like, I am am on my own. There there is no help coming from this person that I'm married to and I got nothing, right? Yeah, it happens. But anyway, um, but that's just one of the ways that the orphan heart might show up. It's that thing of like, I'm in the middle of trouble. I'm in the middle of something where I need help and I can't find it. I don't have it. I don't have access to help. And um, it's just feeling uh, feeling abandoned. So it's not experiencing the love and the, the loving and abiding presence of God in our everyday life. It is just feeling disconnected from the Lord and therefore feeling disconnected emotionally from our, our community, from the people that we love. It's just this feeling of disconnection. So Chris Valaton says that an orphan spirit will keep you boxed into the limiting belief that you will never have what you need because you are left to survive all on your own. And I actually may have had. Nope, I didn't. Um, it is the the... Limiting belief that you will never have what you need because you are left to survive all, all on your own. So have you ever wondered, why can't I rest? Or why do I have so many relational issues? Why does unworthiness and fear and shame, why do they nip at my heels every day? Why am I constantly uh, dealing with this voice in my head that says, you're not doing that right? Uh, you're not enough, you don't have enough, you don't have what it takes, you're not capable. And by the way, because you're not capable, 
uh, you're going to hurt everyone that you love. You're just going to mess it up. The voice that says, who do you think you are? You're going to lose everyone and everything that you love. You know, those fears, those are some of the things that come up in us when we suffer from this orphan heart, this orphan condition. So I have news. Because we wonder why, why do I listen to that voice? Do you ever wonder, you know, we have that internal voice that's looping all the time. Well, why do I listen to that voice? Because it's not really helping me. And I can't make it go away. It's just there, right? And so we figure out why that is. And I will tell you that the reason that we listen to that voice is because there is a piece of the Father's heart that we're missing. We're not understanding the deep love that he has for us, the, the awe that he feels towards us, the embrace that he has. Because if we knew how he felt about us, those voices would be silenced. They couldn't stand a chance in the presence of the Lord. So we are going to figure out why and how we've picked this thing up. We're going to learn that that this is a stronghold. This is a defense mechanism. This orphan, the orphan spirit is the power behind it, okay? It is the, the demonic force behind it. But the orphan heart is what we do. It's saying, I have picked up this defense mechanism to keep me safe. And we're going to learn what that looks like in just a little bit as we break it down. But first, we're going to start with our reading of our scripture. And I have some helpers that are going to come up and help me. Everybody in place? Come on. Yes, thank you very much. We are, I have some little actors that are going to act this out for me. Yes, thank you. You're there and you're there. Yep. All right, this is Isaac, this is Cree, and this is Bryce. But for our story, so we're going to be reading out of Luke 15, the, um, the parable of the father with two sons, or otherwise known as the parable of the prodigal son. And um, in this story, this is, um, like I said, out of Luke chapter 15. And um, what was I going to say about it? Oh, okay, yes, what came before and after, that part's important. Okay, so this is, Jesus is telling this story, and, um, but he's talking to the Pharisees is what he's doing because he's trying to describe the heart of the Father to the Pharisees and they are not getting it. So before this parable is the parable of the, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coins, he is defining to them the loving heart of the Father, okay? And so for this story... This right here is the father, okay? Isaac is going to be our younger son. He is our prodigal. Thank you, Isaac, for that. And this is Bryce. He's going to be the older brother, okay? And Mally is our servant. (laughs) We made a funny women servant joke. Anyway, um, I was like, you can't be in this because, you know, it's all guys. But, okay, we had to have our representation. Okay, here we go. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So, and he said, this is Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. (laughs) And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. No one's giving me anything. Why? But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Do I need to move this way? Hold on. Okay. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran And embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. Or a ring pop. You getting it? And shoes on his feet. But we didn't do that because these are middle school boys. We just let us, we're going to, you know. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. And he is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Woo! And now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Servant, what does this mean? <laughs> and he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And is found. All right. Amen. Can we want to give these guys a hand? All right. All right. Okay. So listen. So here's how this is left. <laughs> Nice act, nicely. 
All right, good job. All right. Okay, so here's the thing. That was a lot of fun. All right, so with that story, you know, one of the things that is the most significant to me, so first of all, we never know if the older brother goes into the party or not because the story just drops, okay? And um, the father in this story, this was an allegory for the father, father God, okay? And so in this story, this is what I find so interesting is that Jesus is telling us that it's possible to live and be in the house of the father and still miss the father's heart, Both of these boys were in the house of the father, the father that's supposed to represent Father God, and both of them missed the heart of God. And we've got to go, why? How did they do that? You know, that was, this is probably my main point here, is that we can be in the house of the father and still miss the the heart of the father. We can be in God's house and we can still miss God's heart because that's what happened here. This is what Jesus is explaining to us. He's saying that if you don't pay attention, if you don't really focus, if you don't really search me out, you can miss me. You can miss my heart. You can miss my love for me, for you. You can misunderstand who I am and you can think all these thoughts about me or you can think that I want you to be a servant and all I want is for you to be a son. And so that is what we're going to break down today. We're going to figure that out. In fact, so this is how this is going to work, and this is why I'm taking three Sundays to do this, is today we are going to break down the ditch. I'm going to call it a ditch because you can go into the ditch of the younger brother. You can go to the ditch of the older brother. We're going to break down the ditch of the younger brother, the way that the orphan heart can show up in that younger brother that went away, the prodigal that went away, We are going to break that down. Next week, we're going to talk about the older brother. A lot of times in this story, the older brother is not paid attention to because we stop at the rejoicing and we don't realize that there is another brother that we need to talk about. And that is the older brother. So we're going to do that all next week. And then the, the last week, we're going to talk about the third person in that story, which is the father. The last week is going to probably be the most fun because the, these first two weeks is going to be a lot of like, ooh, uh, I do that. Oh, that's me. Uh, you know, a lot of that. But it's not going to be full diagnosing. We are going to have some revo- res- resolution um, each time. Um, but that, that third week, we're really just going to focus on the heart of the Father and how the Father loves us. Cool? We good? All right. So today we're going to focus on the younger brother. So let's introduce them. So are there any former younger brothers in the room? Any formal, any prodigals that were once prodigals that came home? That is, no, nobody? All right, come on, give me a hand. So how about current prodigal? No, we're not gonna, you're not going to reach. I'm just kidding. Um, so and if you are, then I'm glad you're here. But um, I was, this is my story. I was a prodigal, like, like I went out reckless living, all the things, you know, I had eight years of my life addicted to drugs and just living a life of craziness and, um, and misery and defeat. And when the Lord met me on my prodigal road, it was just like that. There was, there was a ring and a robe and, and there was a feast and a celebration. My, my story is pretty fun. I might actually tell it at the end, but, um, but so we've got some younger brothers in the room. I want to, I want you to notice that, that in this, you're going to be noticing three things, which I think it's cool how this, this sabbatical theme came about and all that, is that the, the younger brother 
could never find rest. He had dissonance in his relationships. And he went out looking for his song. You know, he went out looking to find himself. For whatever reason, he went out. And he never found it until he was back in the presence of God. He never found the rest until he was back in the presence of God. And he, in the presence of God, is where he restored relationships. And so I just wanted to give a little nod to our um, sabbatical theme. But here we go. So we're just going to break this down. Um, oh, that should have been earlier. I put that in a weird order. If you're, ta- if you're taking notes or doing anything, this is the definition of the or- orphan heart, a misunderstanding of God's heart towards us, to believe that we are on our own to figure things out. So we're just going to break down in order. We're going to follow the story of the younger brother and what he did. And as we do that, then, then um, I'll just be asking of how we can recognize those same things in ourselves. And um, to whatever measure or degree that that is, I realize that this, in this example, this was pretty extreme. And so if this is where you are, the, the odds of you being in this room are low, but it could still be. But um, you could be in the pig pen right now. And this is part of your journey home, which is awesome. So what was going on in the younger brother's heart? So he, the first thing he did is he asked for his inheritance, and then he left. Okay, why did he do that? You ever stop and wonder, why did he do that? Well, on the surface, you can go, well, this is, this is what's obvious, is he didn't want input or correction or fathering. He just wanted to go out and do his own thing. Um, he didn't want accountability. He didn't want to be told how to live his life, and he wanted his blessing now. Um, and he didn't want the obedience or sacrifice that went with it. He just wanted to take what he had, and he wanted to go. Or at least that's what he did. He took what he had, and he wanted to go. Um, and we look in, when we look in Hebrews, we know that Hebrews chapter 12, it says for chap, uh, verses 7 and 8, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So this is basically saying, if you, if you, if you don't want uh, discipline in your life, if you walk away from fathering and you walk away from relationship, that brings on this illegitimacy. That's just this, this orphan is what happens. That's where it shows up. It's saying, I don't want that. I don't need that. But this is the bigger question. So let's go deeper. What made the younger brother leave? So why? You know, you want to look deeper into why. And this is pure speculation because we don't know because it doesn't say. Um, But we can make some assumptions. Because here's the thing is that um, in Deuteronomy 21.17, it spells out the way inheritance works with younger brothers and older brothers. So the older brother is to receive twice the amount as the younger brother. And so it just makes you wonder, how did that make him feel? Did he have jealousy? Or did that make him feel like less than because his brother was going to get simply because of birth order? That's not fair. Why are you getting twice as much as me? Do you love him twice as much? Is he more significant than I am because I'm younger? What does that mean? So it makes me wonder if he had a lot of questions. If that one thing that happened, if he didn't try to make up his own story in his heart and in his mind about what was going on. The other other thing that I wonder, you know, the older brother didn't seem to like the younger brother much. And it makes you wonder, was it because he left and abandoned him? Or was he always that way? You don't know. 
In this particular case, we know that the father was perfect because he represented Father God. Now, that may not be true in our situation when we think about why I became a, a prodigal or younger brother. Our situation, we, none of us have perfect fathers, not one of us. And, um, but anyway. So what makes us vulnerable to the open heart, the orphan heart? So it's basically, if you think about what happened to the younger brother, he had lots of questions. There were things that happened that were outside of his control. And maybe he didn't like it. So any situation in childhood that created the feeling of powerlessness or that there wasn't justice served, it's abuse, trauma, bullying, divorce, a move that you didn't want to do. Powerlessness is the breeding ground for the orphan heart. The belief that we are powerless, it's just where it starts. You know, sometimes, sometimes we were given parents that were just awesome, and they were rock stars, and they did a wonderful job. You know, the Lord created family for a purpose, and it's to represent his heart. And when our parents do that really, really well, then we have a really, really good understanding of the Godhead, of who God is, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're a family. And, or they operate like a family. But they, when that is not done well, when our parents are orphans themselves, when our parents have issues, drag us through issues. That creates powerlessness, our feeling of powerlessness. You know, when my dad died, I was 32 years old. I was so mad at him for dying. (laughs) I can't imagine what, how that would feel for a child if a parent dies. Or if a parent quits on them in one way or another. Or if divorce happens. I remember when my mom began dating after my dad was dead, I I was like, I'm 32 years old, having an issue because of my loyalty. So, you know, there are things that happen when when we're younger that just just creates that vulnerability and we feel powerless especially when because I'm not saying if these things have you're sitting there and you've dragged your kids through those things you're sitting there like sweating right now Um, the feeling of powerlessness comes when it's not processed well when you don't help people through those things because grief happens people leave this happens But if you're on top of it and you're helping and answering questions and not allowing the child to make up stories in their head about what's going on, this is all my fault, things like that, less possibility of of, uh, damage. But, you know, when I think about how many Gen Xers are in here? I'm a Gen X. Any Gen Xers? Okay, we are probably the most – you're a Gen X. Yeah. We are probably the most unparented generation. 
our, our parents were just like, yeah, come home when the streetlights come on and, uh, you know, just there's uh, stuff's in the refrigerator for dinner. <laughs> we were like not parented. It was fend for yourself, figure it out. You're old enough, you're eight, you got this. And I just wonder how much that's contributed to. Anyway, so um, some of the things we're seeing today. But here's what happens. When we're in these vulnerable situations and there's no one there to help us interpret what is going on, the orphan spirit comes along to try to help us interpret it. The enemy comes along and starts to whisper, you're all alone. No one wants to help you through this. No one is capable of helping you right now. This is it. They don't care about you. They don't have your best interest in their heart. Close up. Wall up. Build a fortress of protection around yourself because you are on your own. You don't need anyone because they're only going to hurt you. And sometimes that orphan spirit might say something like, oh, and by the way, God isn't real either. And if he was, he's a real jerk for making you endure this. You don't want his input in your life for sure. So cut him off too because he's not safe either. And then, just for giggles, the orphan spirit says, the only person that you can trust is yourself. Oh, but by the way, you can't really trust you either because you're an idiot. It's this lack of confidence in anyone and even in ourselves. So this fortress that we build, it's a stronghold, it's a mindset, it's inside of our mind of no one gets in. I got this. I got this. Protect yourself at all costs. Your only safety is independence. Run away from intimacy and connection. It's not safe. Don't let anybody see the real you. They'll know your weakness and they will reject you. So what we know about the younger brother is that for whatever reason, he decided to actually leave. And some of that has happened to us. We have actually, we've been in situations and we've actually left. We've actually left good situations because here's what I, I, I should probably caveat this with. You know, this is not saying that you're not allowed to have good boundaries because you have to have good boundaries with toxic people, right? But boundaries and walls are different. Understand what I'm saying? And sometimes you do have to cut toxic people off. Sometimes you have to completely for the safety of yourself. But what I'm saying is when it's good, 
when it's healthy, but you can't handle it and you got to walk away. For the, for the younger brother, he actually went away. But for some of us, we don't actually leave the building. We just leave emotionally. The prodigal outside the church is obvious. They're away from God or, you know, they're whatever. Detached from the church body. But a prodigal inside the church is a little harder to spot because they're here, but their heart's not in it. And this can be in a marriage or any other relationship. Holding something back, I'm not fully showing up. And that leads to this discussion of how does the orphan spirit or the orphan heart influence my relationships? Oh, I missed that. I forgot how many slides I made, so I'm trying to focus on everything. There we go. I need to go back. I'm so sorry. Yes, here we go. Okay, sorry, I'm here. So the next thing that happened is the the younger brother broke relationship with his father and his brother. So he didn't want to be in the house with them for whatever reason. And so here's the thing is that the orphan heart can't find peace in relationships. The job of the orphan heart, remember, is to protect you from getting hurt. It's to protect you from harm. It is, it won't let you get too close to people. So those walls that you build are exactly what causes the problems in your relationships. So, Did you catch what I'm saying? So we pick up this orphan thing of, of uh, I don't need anyone. I'm on my own. I'm building walls. I can't let you in. And we get into these relationships and... Those walls are exactly what causes people to reject us and run away from us because we run up into those. So let's look at this. Some of the ways that we can recognize it is do you distance yourself from those that you love or who could speak into your life because it doesn't feel safe? Like not wanting accountability. Or just not wanting anyone to see all of you or all of what goes on? Are you guarded from wanting to be in community because you feel judged or shamed? Parts of your heart that are blocked off to friends or other close relationships? Mm, this, is, this has been, this is a thing. Do you have trouble giving your whole heart to your husband or your wife? Hold back some in the name of protection. Do you have trouble expressing um, love and affection towards your children? Is there shame and guilt for your shortcomings? And then the bigger question is, is, do you long to be fully seen and fully known 
yet you're scared to death that if you're fully seen and fully known, that you'll be humiliated and rejected. And when we live our lives full of that, full of shame, um, afraid of connection, walled off, what fruit are we producing? Because it leaves us with strained relationships. It's really hard to be in relationship with somebody when you're not all there, when you're not fully present, when you're always protecting yourself. Because protecting yourself always comes with a price. It comes with defensiveness and argumentativeness and always wanting to win or always wanting to be right. And really, we argue with each other's defense mechanisms, not with each other. I'm arguing with your rejection. I'm not arguing with you. I'm arguing with your defensiveness, not with you. My defensiveness is arguing with your defensiveness. But here's what happens. If we're afraid of connection with each other, we are for sure afraid of connection with the Lord. I know there are so many times that people love to fool themselves and say, well, me and God, we're okay. I just hate people. That's actually a meme, I think. That is a lie. That like you're lying to yourself. That's not true. You can't be okay with God and not okay with people. Now it starts with him, but we love because he first loved us. Loving others is a response of his love. So here's the next thing he did. The younger brother lived recklessly, squandering his inheritance. So destructive and escaping behavior. So let's think about this. What would be, what would be a way that we could apply this to us? Mindless scrolling, pornography, irresponsible spending, sexual sin, food addiction, drug addiction, excessive alcohol. Those are just a few things that that we do, potential things that we do when we have the orphan heart, when we have, because this is the reality. We were created by God for love and belonging. We were created for connection. We were created for fascination. We learned that this weekend. We were created for fascination, to be fascinated with God. But when we have When we develop these defense mechanisms that says, I'm going to protect myself at all costs, just nothing is safe. And we can't fully experience relationship with each other, and we can't fully experience relationship with God. We are going to look for fascination somewhere else because we were created by God to be fascinated. So we look to other things. Let me be fascinated by what's going on on Facebook today. Let me be fascinated by this pornography thing. I just, help me. Make me go back. I don't know where I was. Um, And it's whatever it is. So uh, by spending, by buying clothing. (laughs) That'll make me feel better. (laughs) That'll fulfill me. 
But I was talking to, so self-sabotage is the other thing. Doing things that block our success or prevent us from accomplishing a goal. So, because the orphan heart is wandering aimlessly. He's just looking for comfort and rest in inferior pleasures and never finding it. That's one of the symptoms of the orphan heart is a wanderer. I just wander around aimlessly. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm looking for something. Well, actually, what you're looking for is fascination. You're looking for your song. You're looking for what God created you for. And you're looking in all these other places. And you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it until you step into his love and his presence. And I was talking to a lady in the jail yesterday because I do jail visits. And we were talking about self-sabotage. She was telling me the story of how she was on probation, how she ended up in jail at that time. She was on probation. She was four days away from probation being done. She had done it for 100 days. She was four days away from being released and being done. And she was arrested for uh, failing a drug screen. And, and we talked, she's like, I don't know why I do that. I do that every time. And I'm thinking to myself, because that orphan wants to sabotage you. When you, that spirit, the enemy wants you. It's like it's afraid of success. The orphan spirit is afraid of you stepping into your destiny. And it makes us afraid of it. I mean, if you think about what you were actually, like if you sit there and you go, you, if you were to say, okay, one of the questions is, if you had all the money in the world and zero fear, what would you be doing? All the money in the world, zero fear, or unlimited resources is more. Unlimited resources and no fear, what would you be doing? And if it's anything different than what you're doing right now, you're settling for a lie. Because we're afraid of what we've been called to do because it's risky. It's scary. There's rejection there. Do you know that it was just not long ago that I realized that not everybody's going to like me. That is disappointing news for me. Somebody who really needs everybody to like me. It was disappointing. But it's the truth. If everybody likes you, you're probably doing something wrong. But this self-sabotage, it's afraid. I think that we, we ourselves, we are afraid of success. We are afraid of doing what God put us on this earth to do. Because what if I fail? What if I mess it up? What if I make mistakes? So you know what? I'm just going to wreck it before I even get a chance to be successful at all. I'm afraid of success. I can't do it. And that's a sign of, of the orphan living. That's what, that's what the younger son did. How much potential could he have had when he was there? But he's like, nah, good. I'm just going to take my money and blow it. So the younger brother found himself in the pig pen in the middle of a famine. So the pig pen is the place of being at the end of yourself after a long time of self-destructive behavior. You know, sin wounds our soul, according to Psalm 41.4. And don't I know this more than anyone? When I, I, I think I had eight years of just sin, just addiction, all of that. And I drug myself through 
so many traumatic events that I would have never gone through had I not been on drugs or had I not been living that life. Sin wounds our soul. And when we find ourselves in the pig pen, it is, it's traumatic because we've drug ourselves through trauma. There's trauma that we're trying to heal from because trauma was the reason we built the walls in the first place. Trauma was the reason we used the drugs in the first place or we ran or had this fascinating behavior, you know, and then we drag ourselves through more. So here we find ourselves and we're in pain. We have shame. We feel unworthy. There is regret. There's lots of sadness. There's unforgiveness. There's bitterness because you didn't get there all by yourself. So I want you to think about this. I think we all have some degree of a pig pen, right? We find ourselves in the pig pen like him. I want you to look around at what messes are in your life. What relational messes have I made? Am I in a famine? Is there lack? Am I paralyzed with fear? With unworthiness? Am I away from the Lord? Even if you're in this church and in this house, am I away from the Lord emotionally? Because the pig pen is the place where you realize that all of the defense mechanisms, the false protections, the unforgiveness, the bad habits, destructive behavior, all of that have not helped us the slightest bit. When you look at the walls, like being distant from God, the one who gives purpose, that's not a wise decision to distance ourselves from the one who gives us purpose, right? But when you think about these, these defense mechanisms that we've picked up, I mean, we're smart people, okay? We're smart people. We go through trauma, we thought we were doing a good thing by picking up this defense mechanism, right? There was legitimate abuse happening. I needed to protect my mind, right? I went through something really, really hard, and I didn't know how to get through it, and I didn't know the Lord at the time. So yeah, I partnered with some defense mechanisms. So I was hurting, and I was not going to survive. I was going to crumple under the pain. So it served you well for a season. But at some point, we have to look around and go, is it still working for me? Is it still working well? Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? Is it producing the results that I wanted? Is it actually protecting me? Is it actually bringing me peace? Are these walls that I'm building actually bringing me peace? Or is it actually causing more pain? So 
So next in the story, the younger brother comes to himself and decides to come home as a servant. So here is what I love. I love the words comes to himself because to me that says that he was out of his mind or not himself or he was somehow not thinking, not right, not in his, he was not, he was not his best self in that moment. And I think about even when you talk about the, some of the symptoms of the orphan heart being um, that I don't know what to do or I, I don't know how to figure this situation out. And, and how in that moment when it says comes to himself, it's, it's, I realize that the reason why we don't know what to do is because we're not ourselves. You know, we don't have access to to the, the, the knowledge or the, the wisdom of God because we're just out of sorts when we're believing that lie. But just like the younger brother, so the younger brother decides he's going to come back as a servant. He's like, ah, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I'm going to come back as a servant. That's what I'm going to do. And I will get my needs met. I will be fed and it'll be good to go. So just like the younger brother, we can believe that we are unclean because of the things that we've done. Makes us feel unworthy to be in God's presence. I can't approach God in this condition. Not going to do it. So we say, uh, I'm unworthy to be called a son, so I'm just going to be a servant as well. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to go back into the loving arms of my father who will accept me. He loves me. And some of you are going to argue with me and you're going to be like, I don't do that. I know God loves me. I always know that he loves me. I don't do that. I'm not a servant. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I know that. But let's talk about this. What if you've had a really bad week and you failed and you've made mistakes or you yelled at your kids before church, you had an argument with your wife, and it's time to come to church on a Sunday morning. And you're about to enter into worship. And what hits you? Shame, right? Who do you think you are? Worshiping like you're holy. Who do you think you are? Woman of God. Leading that ministry when you're a hot mess at home? Who do you think you are, man of God? Trying to lead your family when you can't even lead yourself. And that voice, it's looping. That is you saying, Lord, I can't come into your presence. I'll just, as a son, I'll just come as a servant. I've got to work for it. If I have a really good week with my kids, I'm up here dancing and worshiping and I feel good because I'm worthy to, you know, give some good praise. But if I've had a bad one and I've failed, I'm sitting in the back, in the back row, not that you back rowers are the, and I'm just saying, <laughs> nope, I'm just going to sit in the presence. I'm just going to be like, mm -hmm. that is the equivalent of saying, Lord, you're awesome, 
and I know I'm going to heaven. I know I am. By the skin of my teeth, I'm going to heaven. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be your servant. I'm not going to be your son. I'm not worthy to be your daughter. I'll just be your servant, and I'll work for your favor. I don't need the benefits of sonship. I don't need that. It's fine. You know, you can't shame yourself into being a better person. You can't shame yourself into not sinning anymore. You can't shame yourself into being a better mother, a better father, a better spouse, a better leader. You can only allow the love of the Father to change you, and that is it. That's it. Because we've settled for a lie if we think we have to work to be in his presence or that we've had to perform well to have his overwhelming presence to just sweep over us and for us to live in the benefit of sonship We believe a lie if we think we have to work for that because we don't. We don't. We come into his presence. Jesus did that. The the most work you have to do is surrender to Jesus. Say yes to him. Make him Lord. And instantly, that ring and that robe are put on. Because this is the truth, is that the father was watching for his son to come home and he ran out to greet him with a ring, a robe, and sandals, and he kills the fattened calf in celebration. And there is more to this that I'm going to get into in three weeks, but here's what I want you to know. Those things meant something. That robe, that meant he was restoring him to sonship. He was not having it. He was not having the, the, this thing of like, I'm going to be a servant, He's like, he wouldn't even let him finish the speech. He's like, no, 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 stop that. Go get get the robe. It's returning him. That was the robe that he left behind. He's saying, you are restored back to the original place, to my original intent before you ever left. And that ring, that ring is authority. All that is mine is yours. You have my authority. I can feel that. You have my authority. You are not weak. You are not powerless. Your prayers are powerful. You have the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have authority because of me. And he put the shoes on his feet because only slaves were barefoot. And he was saying, you are not a slave. I am breaking you free. I am breaking you free from anything that keeps you in bondage, that keeps you in slavery. I'm putting these shoes on your feet because I'm saying you are mine. You are my son and all that is mine is yours and we are gonna go kill the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate. Enter into rest, enter into celebration. Come with me because I love you. I don't care what you did out there. I don't care what you did. Come in to my presence and be with me and spend time with me. 
You know, and I know you guys have heard this before, and you've probably believed it for a short period of time, but if you've ever struggled with something, and you come into the presence of the Lord, and then you leave, and you go back to what you're doing. How many of you guys have ever done that? Struggle with something, and you're like, oh, I just can't get free from this. Why can't I get free? Might I suggest... That we do that because when we come back to the Lord, we're making that negotiation and we're negotiating to be a servant and not a son. Maybe we don't actually accept in the moment of repentance, you know, I repent for this thing that I did and Lord God, help me and take this from me. I do, I repent, I repent. But what if our mind is saying, I repent, I repent, I repent. I'm still not worthy to offer all your benefits, but I'm just going to come back as a servant. Because it feels like heresy to say, I mean, this is offensive. It is offensive to say that I can come to the Lord in the middle of my mess and he will meet me there and he will surround me and he will call me his son and his daughter. That feels offensive to just have all that love after all that I've done. But the cross is offensive. And it's the truth. He will. Because here's the thing. When you come back and you don't come back as a servant, when you come back and you really receive the ring and you really receive the robe and you understand, I am, I am right with God. I have a, his authority. I am not a slave. I am going into rest and celebration with my God. When we do that, might I dare say that we don't want to go back to our pig pen, that it does actually stop, that we finally get the freedom that we've been longing for because we have the love and the acceptance and the sonship of God. Amen? Amen. Yes, give him praise because that's good news. This is your only hope. Like, this is it. There is no other answer to you getting free or to you overcoming something. No other answer than know how much God loves you and experience his love. There's no other answer. Because even if the answer is something like, here's a way that you can do it. Go and get some emotional healing for the trauma that you went through. And that's a good idea. But do you know why you go get emotional healing for the trauma that you went through? so that you can understand God's heart when you went through it. It's so that you can get his clarity. It's so that you can embrace his love for you. That's what that, that does. It just creates a space for you to receive the love of the Father. Like, this is it. This is your answer. The love of God. That's it. If the worship team could come up. We're going to go deeper into all of this in a couple weeks, like I said. I got to get this out of the way before I go back to what I was doing. We're going to do this. The reading this week is John 11 and 12. And do your here journal. If you don't know what that is, ask me after service. But we're going to get alone with God this week and be in his presence daily. I'm going to fall. Allow him to love on you as you worship him. And I want you to just begin to notice when the orphan heart with the younger brother bend, 
shows up. Because, yeah, just wait until next week when you guys, when I start talking about the older brother. If none of this touched you, and it probably did, but if, if you're like, oh, no, I think I've overcome that. That feels pretty good. Wait till next week. So, anyway. So, this is what we're going to do. Since our only hope is the love of the Father, right? One of the things that we need to do is we need to be like, hey, that defense mechanism I picked up, I don't think I want that anymore. I don't, I don't think I want that anymore. But since we created that thing, I mean, the enemy helped us by being out here talking to us, but we constructed it in our minds. We need to surrender that thing. So I just want you to say this. We're going to preach to our own soul. We're going to preach to our own mind. So I want you to say, self. You've partnered with an orphan heart. And the purpose was to defend me. But it's hurting me. And it's caused me more pain than I'm willing to endure. So I'd like to tear that thing down and partner with sonship instead. I want to embrace the love of the Father and all that comes with that. All right, stand to your feet because we're about to worship. We're gonna, they're going to sing this song, The Father's House. I want to tell you this story. Nineteen years ago, I was met in this church the father met me. I had been in jail. I had just detoxed off drugs. <clears throat> and I really didn't want anything to do with God because of all the shame that I walked in. And when I came walking in these doors, I will never forget. <sighs> the love of God that hit me. And it overwhelmed me. And I didn't know what was happening because I didn't grow up in church and I didn't have even the wherewithal to know that what we were doing might be weird to some people. <laughs> you know, worshiping freely. I had no, I was like, this is so cool. But all I could, I could physically feel shame lifting off of me. I actually felt it leaving me. And I felt the love of God surrounding me, swallowing me up. And it was the most bizarre, uncomfortable, but wonderful thing that I have ever felt in my life. And I felt a lot of things because I did a lot of drugs. But this was the fascination that I was looking for. The love of God met me, and I believe that that same anointing is here today. It's been here this whole time. The Lord wants to take your shame. He wants it to lift off of you, and he wants to swallow you with his love. He wants to baptize you in his love. He wants to fill you. And as you surrender those defense mechanisms to him, just embrace 
his love.